Welcome to the Legal Tech Talent Network podcast with your hosts, David Netzer, president of Legal Tech Talent Network, and Erica Santiago, executive recruiter for LTTN and training consultant for learnaboutediscovery.com. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Visit us online anytime at www.legaltechtalent.com. Good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this, welcome to the Legal Tech Talent Network podcast. My name is Erica Santiago, and I'm one of your hosts. My uh, good friend and co-host, David Netzer, is here with me. And today we are doing something a little new. We have a special guest. Today we have Stacy Wagner, and I'm going to let Stacy introduce herself and tell us a little bit about the book that she wrote and about her background as a litigation paralegal doing e-discovery work. Well, first, I'd just like to thank you, Stacey, for joining us. And um, I'm very excited to get your insight and to some of the things that are going on with the people that we're actually working with these days. Um, I've been a recruiter in the legal technology space for many years. And most of the candidates I work with are more of a senior level, so a lot of them should have a lot of the knowledge that, that, that you're going to share with us today. But lately, um, I've actually been working with a company that's, um, they're a consulting firm and they're looking for some junior level, recent college grads, even some of the, the people are just going to be graduating in December. And I have noticed that, um, you know, for people coming out of college that don't really have any work experience, the only thing they have, aside from their education, is their their etiquette, the way they look, their communication skills. And if they're, you know, they're not on point with those skills, then they're going to get passed up for these positions. So these are extremely important things for young professionals coming out of college to know because it could mean the difference between getting a great, great job with a great consulting firm or law firm or, or, you know, just being completely passed up. And, you know, we all know that first job out of college can really set the bar for a, a high level, high paying career. So really appreciate this and um, look forward to hearing what you have to say. And Stacey, if you could tell us why, what made you tra- decide to transition into the topic you're going to uh, help us out with today? My pleasure. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you again, Erica and David, for having me today. I am really excited to be here to talk about uh, my first uh, professional love, I would say, the legal field. I was a paralegal for more than 20 years in litigation. Um, I did everything from asbestos, tobacco, and IP law, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll tell you a little bit about what I do now. I am a uh, business etiquette expert, speaker, and author of a book called Modern Business Etiquette for Young and Fabulous Professionals. Organizations hire me to show their early career and transitioning professionals uh, how to use business etiquette skills to gain credibility, project confidence and develop and maintain business relationships. Um, Everyone always wants to know, how did you become an etiquette lady? It's a long story, which I won't bore you with here today, but I became, um, the, the, the short answer is that I became 
an etiquette professional because after 20 plus years in the legal field, I was looking for something, something new. And I always knew I wanted to give back. And I decided I wanted to level the playing field because I knew from working in the legal field for so many years that your success really depends on your business etiquette skills, uh, how you act, how you communicate and um, how you dress. I know no one likes to hear that. You know, the how you look matters. It, it is. Um, whoever said ne don't, never judge a book by its cover was not a visual learner. And 60% and of us are visual, visual learners. So that's just life. Um, so that's how I became an, an etiquette professional. And I really, I love it because it levels the playing field and it shows so many young professionals who are brilliant, but who may be struggling because of their social skills, how these simple skills can turn everything around for them. And I, and I love helping young people uh, win in their careers. That's fantastic. You know, one of the things that, um, that Stacy's story resonates with, uh, things about Stacy's story that resonates so much with me personally is I used to work for a very old, uh, old Southern law firm here in Atlanta. And we were known in the nineties and early two thousands as the folks that when everybody else was going to casual Friday, our idea of casual Friday was, you know, the guys would remove their ties and maybe not wear their jacket, but those little things about lunches and dinners and uh, how to dress really that resonates with me as a legal tech professional, because a lot of us on the tech side, that's not the world we live in. It's not as, not quite as formal. Coming out of 18, almost 24 months of the pandemic and folks working remotely, um, what have you seen change in, from an edit, a business etiquette standpoint uh, in general, but also in the law firm world or the vendor world when it comes to asking uh, the appropriateness of asking people their vaccination status. I know that oh. came up with, you know, I heard legal tech in New York is in play for this winter and uh, folks are going to be showing up in New York and it's like, do I wear a button that says I'm vaxxed? Do I wear a wristband? I know they did that at ILTA. Um, so what is the, what is the appropriate way to respond to that? The whole vaccination status, getting, you know, transitioning back from remote. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you're starting with the big questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, for something like legal tech, my first assumption is that they are going to have some protocols in place. There are, there's one that I'm familiar with. I think it's called crowd pro crowdsource or something it's an app that you have to in uh, indicate your vaccination status for, for either you um before an event actually i'm attending a wedding uh, a small wedding but the the family is using this particular app so everyone has had to uh, show either a picture of their vax card or include information that they've you know when they had uh, they, they have a negative test and you get a, 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 a code that you get a scanner code, a QR code that you have to use before to be allowed into the venue. Okay. Into, and so that, that's that, but beyond that, um, what I recommend in asking, first of all, of course, ask, because you need to feel comfortable. This is a health and safety issue. Um, 
if you are going into an organ, an, an event or an or a, um, a situation where the protocols have not been discussed beforehand, I would just ask if you're interviewing and you're being uh, recruited, ask a recruiter, what are the COVID protocols? Um, I want to make sure that I understand the requirements for on-site visitors before the interview. And if you're just meeting someone in, in, a, in a cafe, you know, you're going directly to the, uh, the, the, the law firm and maybe someone's invited you to do the interview at Starbucks because that happens a lot these days. You know, people are trying to get away from Zooming everything. They want some in-person contact, but they don't want to be uh, at the law firm yet or the organization because then you have to navigate offices, elevators, and that sort of thing. Right. Um, you can ask them, again, the same question. You know, you or one thing, a way I like to do it is I, I recommend asking, saying this, I'm fully offering what your status is. I'm fully vaccinated. And at this time, I'm continuing to be cautious and uh, by wearing masks. What can I do to help you feel comfortable when we meet? Right. You know, and so most people will then offer their own vaccination status. And and so it puts the, the burden on you. Yeah, and, and you're right. It, it is something that people should be asking. And also it's, it's uh, information that companies should be offering, whether they're interviewing someone or having a meeting or, or holding a function. It should be something that everyone kind of puts out there, whether they're the one attending or the one hosting. And um, I, I like what you say about, uh, you know, just remembering it, it is a health safety issue and you do need to worry about yourself. So don't, don't feel bad about whether or not you should ask these questions because you want to do what's, what's right for you. Absolutely. Right. We, I, you're doing what's right for yourself. You're doing what's right for your loved ones and your friends, the the community. No one wants to spread this. So it's, it's quite all right to, um, to, to ask. Okay. Thank you, Stacey. That's a great response um, because it's one of those things that because it's become so politicized, people are not sure how to approach it. Mm-hmm. And so, and especially uh, younger, uh, the younger generations of workers trying to navigate this new world. I mean, we literally, I saw something the other day, they said there are kids in second grade who've never actually gone to school yet, but mm. because every, their entire school experience has been online. I ima- imagine the people who graduated high school two years ago or graduated college two years ago their entire introduction to the workforce has been uh, different than what we've experienced in the past. So mm-hmm. um, fantastic. David, you had a question about emails and versus texts. Yeah. Um, basically I have a, a, a quite a few questions about etiquette with respect to communications, but specifically uh, with emails and text messages Um a lot of individuals do not seem to recognize the boundaries of the business day hours. And, you know, they'll tend to send text messages or emails after hours, you know, during the evening, on the weekend. And Erica and I actually had a a bit of a conversation about this as far as 
emails and texts, and we all, we have a bit of a different view. And in, in my mind, a text message conveys that you want an immediate response. So I try not to send people text messages outside of business hours, but with when it comes to emails, I kind of feel as though that doesn't, you know, give people the idea that I'm looking for an immediate response. So I will sometimes pe send people emails after hours or on the weekend, although I've kind of started backing down off of that now if possible. But just kind of wondering what your thoughts are because, you know, people are always on their phones and it's important to have a work-life balance and it's important to respect other people's boundaries. So we'd really love to hear your input on that. Okay. Well, let's tackle the text messages first. I think there's a, a, um, a clear line between texting for work and texting for personal. I agree with you that when you're texting for work and you send someone, it's, a, it's the context of work and you send someone a text. To me, the implication is that you want a response with, within, depending on your culture, either, you know, immediately, whatever that means. Is it instantaneously? Is it up to an hour? But they want an answer soon. If it's, if you're texting for personal reasons, then all bets are off. Um, it depends on the relationship you have with the person you're texting. Like I have a, an understanding with many of the people I know I'm close to that they can send, I can send them a text and they can get back to me, you know, two, three days later. And I understand that that's completely okay. But for business, definitely not. Um, as far as email etiquette goes, I think that it depends on a couple of factors, especially in the legal world. There's such a hierarchy. If you are a partner sending someone an email on the weekend, that has a much different feeling to the recipient who is, you know, to your paralegal or your IT person than if you were to send an email to one of your partners. You know, there's a different relationship. They feel, um, they would feel free to wait until Monday, right? right to, to get back to them. But if, you know, I'm working from home and my partner sends me an email, I'm going to at least start thinking about my response. So that's creating the culture of the 24-hour work cycle. So that, of course, depends on the work, um, the work culture. Culture. If you're not, if and so, I would recommend not sending emails um, outside of normal hours. But if you need to, because you're just doing your workflow, um, say at the beginning of the email, don't you know this? You know, respond to this during business hours. You know, this is, I'm sending this now. Don't respond until business hours is, is not urgent. Let the person know what your expectations are in terms of, uh, of responding to it if you are going to send something after hours. That's really good. So right at the beginning of your email, say this is not urgent, mm -hmm. respond, or maybe please respond by Monday at five. And then that lets exactly. the person know they've got all day Monday to get back to you. Yes. I like that, I like that a lot. I might That's a great idea. Possibly even, you know, companies potentially should have some type of a policy in place where they 
tell employees that they're not expected to work outside of work hours and that if they receive emails uh, from colleagues that they're, they're not expected to, to respond to them because we all know if, if, you, if you get an email and you see it, you start thinking about it and it could kind of ruin someone's evening or weekend. Sure. And sometimes the sender, they may or may not know, but they may be oblivious if, if they're a partner. You know, they, they, they may not really know what they're doing. So I guess it's important to mm-hmm. educate everyone on that matter. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, I know I've worked for um, many attorneys over the years where their work week starts Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you go into, this was before the, you know, the, the, um, the 24 seven access to your emails, which you go on Monday morning and you see the the timestamp on those emails, they, you know, they sent them out Sunday morning, you know, they were, they were in the office working. So, um, I think, I think those are, um, I think it's really good to be mindful of that. We now have young people who, uh, their mental health is really, um, taking a hit as you were saying, uh, Erica, you were talking about some people coming out of college. This is their first experience with the work world. So in addition to all of this, the stresses of not having that in-person communication, they're now faced with trying to navigate work culture, but they've never had the actual experience of understanding what that work culture is because they've never really been there. So it's causing a lot of, of problems. And so, David, to your point, I think policies would help. Yeah, I, I That's think great I, that is excellent advice. Thank you, Stacy. Can you talk a little bit? It's one of the things when you're in a, a technical field, uh, doing a legal IT, legal tech, um, e-discovery project managers, um, and you haven't had the law firm experience. A lot of times, the interaction with the service providers, they're not sure who to listen to because they don't know the hierarchy. Could you give like a 45 second overview of who's actually in charge at the law firm for technical. (laughs) I've been on projects where I, where I was the e-discovery project manager, let's say I'm communicating with the project manager at the vendor. And one of the associates working with me sees, let's say David's email address on a status report or an email that goes around and decides I'm going to email him directly because it's Saturday afternoon and I can't reach Erica. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, there's a problem because someone who didn't have the authority to communicate directly with the service provider on the project has now jumped in the middle of things and the vendor doesn't know who to listen to. Mm-hmm. Although there's policies, a lot of times, uh, project management policies in place to kind of discuss that structure. It's one of the things that I make sure that I always try to cover in my classes. But can you give us like a 45 second overview for folks who are new to this, who might be listening to our podcast, who uh, are new to the legal tech world and the legal world in general? Okay. So if you are new to the legal world, know that the law firm hierarchy in general is the attorney and then everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) okay but within each law firm there are paralegals and it people and secretaries and document clerks what have you and they all have varying degrees of power and authority depending upon who they are adjacent to if you 
are, so if you are working with a project manager, i.e. a paralegal or an IT person within a law firm on a project, and you have been communicating with them, should an associate or a partner reach out to you directly, and it's clear that they are asking you for things, or they're just talking to you outside of outside of uh, dealing with the person, if they, your original point person, I would recommend saying, you know, listening, evaluating what it is they want, and then if it doesn't comport with what you have been discussing with your uh, tech, your your contact, tell them. Say, I'm happy to do this for you. However, this is what's already in place. You know, would you like to change this? Should do you think it's a good idea for us to bring in so and so so she can or he can uh, get you up to speed on what they are doing and how they are handling? This because you you never want to tell them well no I'm not going to do that because someone else has already told me something else you know I always fall back on the thing I did when I was a paralegal and I'd be working on something and another attorney would come along and they asked me to do something else and I couldn't do both so both things so I would always say oh of course I'm happy to handle this for you but X has already given me this. And this is what we're working on. Would you like me to go to them and, and talk to them and say, you know, you're, you, you need your project, you know, do you, you need this project needs to take priority. And usually what they would say is either one of two things. Um, no, go ahead and do the project for them. Or if, it, if their project was really urgent, I'll talk to them. Right. And so you, you put the onus on them. You tell them what's going on. You put the onus on them. So that way you protect yourself as the, the outside vendor. Right. That you're saying, look, this is what I've been instructed to do. This is, at, you know, what you want is at odds. How do you want to proceed? And my suggestion is that we bring in so-and-so. That's great advice. And it, it, it's similar along the lines of what you were saying, even with the vaccination questions. Someone asks you something, don't shrivel up and, you know, just do what you think they want you to do. But, you know, empower yourself to tell people what the situation is, ask questions, make sure everyone's aware of what's going on. Because at the end of the day, if you do things that way, especially in, in the scenario you were just talking about with multiple projects competing, you'll ensure that everyone's project is worked on. Everyone's aware of, of what is required and let the people who may be the, the partners, or the attorneys be the ones to set the priorities, you know, so that way you are making sure everyone has the knowledge of what's happening and the, the partners can decide which is the priority and then let you know what to work on. So it, mm -hmm. it definitely makes a lot of sense and it takes people a lot of time in their career many times to learn that on their own. So it's, it's good to give people that knowledge. Yes, definitely. And, and because people are not in the office, one of the key, uh, key reasons you have, uh, folks 
really wanting everyone back in the office because of that camaraderie that's built up, that you that mentorship opportunity that's built up in the in, uh, in the in office environment. You can have somebody pull you aside or overhear a conversation and say, "Oh yeah, here's how you should handle that next time." Um, I know that worked for me. I had great mentors when I was in the law firm environment and in the vendor environment. Um, but then if you're only on zoom, you don't, no one's overhearing your conversations. Right. <laughs> no one's, uh, seeing, you know, that, uh, scenario take place. Um, speaking of zoom, Stacy, we had a question, David and I have talked about this at length, actually, because <laughs> it's, some of it is quite bazonkers, uh, to use a technical term. What do you think from an etiquette standpoint about, how people can respond to calendar invites. Um, David and I have had folks that we've talked to where we send a calendar invite for an interview um, or send it and they open it up on their phone, but they don't recognize the Outlook uh, extension. And so they don't know what to do with it. What, what is the, what do you recommend? Is it something that we should be saying? Is it something that candidates should be uh looking into or making sure uh, that they're prepared for? What are your thoughts about how to handle digital calendar uh, or Zoom invites? Mm -hmm. You know, this is so interesting because no one's ever asked me this, but I see this, you know, I'm on a, a few committees and boards and things, and I will see those invites and half of the people haven't responded. So, but they all show up to the meeting. So I'm not sure if it's a technology glitch. Maybe their iOS doesn't work with Android or something. I don't know. But what I would do for you in working, what I would suggest for you in working with um, candidates is tell them what you need them to do. You know, say, I'm going to send you an invitation through Outlook. Um, please accept it when you receive it. So we'll know that, you know, we're on for this interview. And so they may think, well, duh, of course, I'm going to do this. <laughs> or they may not have realized and thought, oh, I'm glad they told me. You know, either way, you're getting what you want. And they're either being reminded that they need to be proactive or they're learning a new skill. Absolutely. Because in business, 99% of these appointments go out via an Outlook in invite. I mean, everyone still uses Outlook. It's it's pretty much the gold standard. And then mm -hmm. If uh, people don't understand how to use that from their personal email accounts uh, when they're, you know, trying to make connections, have interviews, um, it, it shows that they are not a self-starter in terms of, you know, learning how to use te the, the technology that will allow them to check their email on an app on their phone that will accept an, an invite. And, just just so everyone out there listening knows, Outlook is free on a phone. <laughs> it's for, for uh, Android and for iPhones. So, um, you know, and, and if, if someone has any kind of uh, standard email address, whether it's a Gmail, a, you know, a Apple, I, any, any, any standard email address will work with uh, Outlook. And there are many other email clients that, that do the same thing. But um, it, it is important to 
be able to show that you are attending a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And I, I like that you told them it's the gold standard. You know, if you're trying to get a job in business in the legal world, you need to learn the tools of that world. You know, don't use some random app to manage your email if it's going to interfere with you uh, getting a job. You know, and I think there's so many options out there and younger people, the Gen Zs, tend to, or the um, the baby millennials, as I call them, the ones who are still in their 20s, and the Gen Zs, they're so used to all these options. You know, well, I like this app for my email, but they're missing out on things so they don't realize it. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. And they look at it differently than some people that are a little more mature in their career because the response I get from some of the Gen Zs and um, the, the younger candidates is, oh, well, it doesn't work with my iPhone. And, and, and it's usually... I hate to call out the iPhone people, but it is usually the <laughs> iPhone people because, you know, they love their iPhone and whatever technology it, it, it does, but they don't seem to understand that, you know, as we mentioned, Outlook is the gold standard. And when you're in business, you know, you're going to have to do what your company does. Mm-hmm. So to say that, oh, it doesn't work with my iPhone, you know, that, that's that's not something that's going to get you hired. Exactly. <laughs> it's gonna, <laughs> exactly. And it does work with your iPhone. I, I have an iPhone, but I, maybe, maybe, and I'm just throwing this out here, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it's because the um, you have to pay for the Microsoft suite for the iPhone. I don't know what happens with Android, but I know that I have a, a, a license. And so I'm assuming that's why everything works for me, because I, I pay a, a license to have the Microsoft suite for, um, for iPhone. I don't know what happens in Android, but the bottom line is you're right. That's not, and it's, you, you can't have that sort of an excuse because you're creating a barrier mm-hmm. to your, to the, to the process from the very beginning. Right. You're creating a poor impression. And even if yeah. you perceive, uh, and I think it is, I think Outlook Outlook is a free app on the iPhone, but you're right. You do have to have uh, access to a license. And so here's what I recommend. Many of the uh, folks, if you are a year, two years, uh, under five years out of college, your university probably has Office 365. You probably had access to it. um, And you probably still have access to it indefinitely as an alumni. Um, and so it check your check your college or university that you attended and find out if you still have your old Outlook email account and you're able to use that. Uh, and that will allow you to have access to it definitely for free um, if you don't have access to Office 365. However, um, the other thing I would recommend from a technical standpoint is if you see the, the calendar appointment coming to you in, uh, in Outlook format, note the day and the time, and then make sure you put it in the calendar that actually sends notifications to your phone. Mm-hmm. So I'm double, uh, for example, I'm double booked for our uh, podcast recording today in both my Gmail calendar 
because I share that with my husband. So he knows, you know, keep the kids clear um, and <laughs> don't make noise. And I'm also in the Outlook uh, calendar that I share with David. And so uh, through Legal Tech Talent Network. So it's important to understand that it's okay to double book yourself on more than one calendar. It's part of being personally organized, I think, mm -hmm. and just organization. And David, I think you said something really key there. And that is being a, a self-starter in litigation, in litigation technology, e-discovery. Um, it is so important to be a self-starter because sometimes you will not get clear instructions and it is in incumbent upon you to ask the questions that haven't been asked. Otherwise, what happens is you are left uh, trying to figure out what someone wants you to do and they're waiting for you to ask questions because a lot of people, and it's a communication skill thing, but a lot of people have conversations in their heads and then you get the tail end of that conversation or the middle of the conversation uh, in real time. And then they don't realize they didn't tell you all the details you need to know to accomplish whatever task uh, that you're being asked to do. So always, always, always ask questions is always my advice. And speaking of asking questions, I have another question along the lines of this Zoom interview Thing. Okay, and that is what should people wear for a Zoom interview? Um, I mean, there's a Folgers commercial that I love where the guy has his camera down and he's dressed in a suit and tie from the waist up, but everyone sees his boxers, and I think that's hilarious because um, that's always my fear. Uh, you know, my yoga pants, but I'm look I look nice from the waist up. <laughs> what is your recommendation? <laughs> recommendation? Just hope the doorbell doesn't ring during right, the meeting. Exactly. <laughs> So what is your, if there is a Zoom or, or uh, Microsoft Teams uh, meeting or job interview, uh, because we're in recruiting, we're specifically interested in the job interview, but even beyond that, what should people be doing uh, when it comes to, to preparing the visual part of their, their interview? Okay. This is such a great question, and it's so necessary uh, to understand. When you are interviewing via Zoom, you need to dress as if you were in person for a couple of reasons. One, you want the professional bottom on because there's always a chance that you're going to stand up. You know, things happen. Um, so there's no recovering from that, right? There's no recovering from PJ bottoms with a blazer. There's just, there are too many other candidates out there. Right. Um, so you need to dress the part and that includes, um, you know, your hair for women. I, you know, I always tell them, don't blame me. I'm the messenger. You wearing makeup. Unfortunately, this is where we are. The professional look, if you're familiar with the, um, with Bobby Brown makeup, she, she, her whole thing is the neutral professional look. You can create this look with any type of makeup, but the neutral look wins in the business world. So, uh, for makeup, your, your hair, as long as your hair is well-groomed and it's not, um, wet, please do not show up to an, any type of business meeting with wet hair. It just, it says, you know, it says you're not prepared, right? I also recommend wearing shoes instead of your slippers because it helps put you in 
the mindset and the proper mindset. You know, we are, when you're wearing slippers, when I'm wearing slippers, it says it's time to relax or I'm just working at home by myself. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing real shoes right now because we're going to talk business. (laughs) I'm wearing shoes also. I thought about it. I had flip flops on and I, Put on shoes. Right, it, it, I'm it, a slacker it, then because I've got on flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't tell, but really, you want to give yourself every advantage when you're interviewing. But because of Zoom, there are other things you need to consider. You have to consider your background. You want your background to be uh, clean and simple. So if you need to have a virtual background, make sure it's something professional. You don't want it to be distracting, you know, the cat videos and that sort of thing in the background. Um, you want, you don't want to blend in to your background, right? So if your background is white. Yes. Can I interrupt you for just sure. a second? I want to ask you a question about virtual backgrounds. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on virtual backgrounds in general? Because they, they just kind of look weird sometimes, even if it's just a plain background. So wondering what your thoughts are versus, you know, a lot of people, they, they may be in a, a, a dorm room or they may have an apartment or a lot going on and, and may not be able to have the most, you know, perfect, perfect looking space behind them. But right. I'm wondering what you think on, you know, just kind of going with what you have versus having a, a, an odd looking. Exactly. Go with what you have. Everyone has a space somewhere, if it's a tiny corner somewhere, you can create the feeling of a, just a blank wall behind you. Um, and it's, it could be a closet door. It could be a corner. It could be, you know, a wall in your, in your bedroom, but you just have to make sure that your bed isn't on camera. You know, you don't have, and I agree with you, virtual backgrounds can look weird if you don't have a green screen. Or the a green, um, I think you can even use green um, paper uh, table table. Um, yeah, tablecloth. Like tablecloth. Yes, you can buy them from the the dollar store and put them up, and that will help keep your. If you create a, if you use a virtual background, it'll help um, prevent that sort of weird, um, you know, funhouse effect that goes on behind you and your head disappearing and all of that. Um, so yes, you can definitely use what you have, um, but make sure that whatever it is, it's distraction free. Mm. Okay. Because you don't, you want the interviewers to focus on you, not on your background. Right. So no no political posters, no. (laughs) What about lighting? What about lighting? Um, yes. I'm on Zoom meetings where, and I, my lighting's pushed to the side today, but um, I've been on Zoom meetings where people sit in front of an open window so it's bright behind them and then they're dark and mm-hmm. airy. Right, right. The light source should always be um, behind your device, not behind you. Otherwise, you'll get shadows, you'll be in the dark, like you're saying, and it's not conducive to creating that feeling of direct eye contact and connection, which is doubly hard because of technology. Also, you want the position of your device to be such that it creates, uh, that the camera is at eye level. So that when you're speaking to the uh, interviewers, it's creating the feeling that you are making eye contact with them, that that, that you're paying attention to them. 
There's a um, there's a model of laptops, PC laptops, where they built the camera in the bottom at the bottom of the screen. So, really? Yeah. Um, I have a friend that that does an IT, and he was telling me he says it's so frustrating because out of his options for a computer at home, his work laptop with the with the camera at the bottom of the the screen is his better device. But he hates having the camera looking up his nose. Mm-hmm. And so what do you recommend to people who have a device that they're, I know you said to bring it, make sure your eye level, mm-hmm. but what are some ways that people can uh, practically make sure that their devices or their laptops are up at eye level? Well, you can spend money if you want and buy a, uh, a laptop uh, stand. Or you can use boxes, books, something that's large enough to uh, and strong enough to uh, support your laptop and just play around with it and see what works. You know, turn on Zoom, create a meeting with just yourself or with a, with a friend and right. figure out, how, you know, what creates that feeling for you and just consistently use it. That's a great idea. And you could also, if it's not a super long meeting, you could even change your chair. And, and if you're sitting on a, a box or, or something, mm-hmm. if it's not mm-hmm. too long, you can change your own position. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. great. It, it, again, it's just, you know, do, do what you've got to do to, to make it look right. I like the idea of practicing with a friend. I think that's great advice too, Stacey. Uh, pra- I have a friend, um, even, you know, who's very senior level in uh, her career. She's uh, been doing what she does for like two over two decades. And in preparing for some uh, job interviews, because she, a couple of months ago, she decided to make some changes. Uh, she sat with us, uh, myself and another friend. And she's like, do you guys mind if we just run through, if I give you this list of interview questions, can we just run through them? Um, and I thought that was great. And if, but Taking it to a Zoom scenario, it's a great idea to see how do you look, how do you present on camera and getting your friends to give you feedback, like don't slouch. I have a tendency to slouch. Um, so uh, you know, just making sure you're sitting up or that your you know, lighting looks good and having somebody run through that with you, getting, mm-hmm. giving you advice, I think is a great, uh, great idea. That is a great idea. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, this has been really a rich conversation, Stacy. I, I really appreciate your taking time uh, to talk, talk with David and I. And I think that the folks that listen to our podcast, uh, who many of them are people who are in the job hunt. Uh, we've had the great resignation this summer and into this fall. And there's a lot of uh, movement in the industry, in the legal industry especially in the legal tech industry that we're seeing. And uh, it's, it's all, everything's going all over the place. And it's interesting um, because I feel like our industry has always been busy, (laughs) but it's busier now than it has been because people are looking at things like their work culture um, and they're looking at things, not just what they're getting paid, but all of those things that, that make your work experience, something that's fulfilling and worthwhile. Um, I want to recommend your book to everyone because a lot of what we're talking about today came directly out of reading your book uh, last weekend. David and I both read it. 
Um, it's modern business etiquette for young and fabulous professionals. And I'd like to think that our listeners are young and fabulous, whether they're young at heart, but definitely, definitely fabulous. It's a quick guide to professional empowerment and success, what you need to know, when you need to know it. And uh, it's a book for everyone, even though I think you spend a lot of time uh, in the book talking directly to young women, um, because I know that's where your heart is at. I think that everybody can get something out of this uh, from a practical sense. It is uh, principles that apply. Uh, Stacy talks about handshakes in here. Now, right now, I guess that's actually a good uh, post-COVID question. What do we do with handshakes? Yeah. So we're trying yeah. to wrap up, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought about that. No, I was no. like, oh my gosh, yes, she did talk I, about handshakes. You know. Yes. I, forgive me. I forgot to mention that. You asked me what the big change, what the big changes are. Yeah. Handshaking is definitely one of those changes, a big cultural shift. Uh, no one is shaking hands. Well, of course, in 2020, no one was shaking hands. I recommend avoiding the handshake until the infectious disease experts tell us that it's okay. And even then, if you're never comfortable doing that again, don't. There are other ways. Now, of course, in my book, I'm a big proponent of handshaking because it was really the only way that we could actually touch another person in business, right? That we and so much power, the power of touch, but we can't do that now. So you can't do the uh, elbow bump when you are socially distanced. The foot tap never caught on. <laughs> you, you know, and you're going to lose, you lose your balance, right? The fist bump, it's, it's too close to handshaking because you're touching hands. So what I recommend is something I call the power nod. I, um, I designed it for my clients during the pandemic. And just quickly, it blends east and west. It takes the eye contact that the Western world desires and it creates the, um, and it adds the deference that our friends in the East enjoy. So what you do is you make eye contact, you smile naturally, and you nod your head with intention. You don't do a deep deferential bow because you're meeting as a business equal. And you can clasp your hands any way you wish. You know, you can fold them together. You can put them in namaste. If your hands are full, you don't have to worry about your hands. So I love it because it levels the playing field for men and women. It's a new skill. Everyone's learning together. And it combines two things that everyone in the world recognizes, whether it's eye contact, because you're from an eye contact culture, or it's the bow showing deference if you're from the East. And uh, so that's my recommendation for... That uh, is a fabulous idea. I, I hadn't uh, heard that, but that, that really is a great idea. And, and you're right. Everyone does know, even if it's just from watching movies, they, they do know that a bit of a bow is a sign of respect. So mm -hmm. it, it's something that would be understood by people who haven't even experienced it yet. So that's great advice. Thank yeah. you. My pleasure. Definitely, especially now in the legal tech world where a lot of uh, the service providers are international. Law firms have been international for years, but a lot of uh, the service providers are international. And so that's a great bit of advice. I might soundbite that. Um, a great bit of advice for folks working uh, internationally, working and interviewing internationally. So very Absolutely. cool. Um, I know ahead. we just have a few more minutes, but I do have one more quick question if, if you've got time. Of course. Okay. So... 
I know um, we, we kind of touched on this, the coffee shop meetings, because a lot of times due to corporate rules, building rules, city, county rules, um, a lot of meetings are going outside of the office, even if we're going back to personal meetings. And I know in your book, you, you covered a lot of topics with respect to uh, business lunches, meeting, you know, actual business meetings in the office. Um, what are your suggestions for someone who is either having a, a, a quick business meeting or an interview in a coffee shop? Because it may feel a little more casual, but I kind of have a feeling you're going to tell us it, it it should be treated roughly the same way. <laughs> um. Well, of course, it depends if you are interviewing. Sure, show up as you would for an in-person. Um, it's, you, you know, the person may offer you a, a coffee or a tea or whatnot. But if it's super casual, like Starbucks or something, if you get there early, you know, if you're just meeting at Starbucks, this this can be a little tricky. If they say, meet me, let's meet at Starbucks, you know, not join me for um, an interview over coffee, right? You Everyone knows the, the difference. If you're just using Starbucks as the place, it's okay to get a cup of tea yourself. This is also COVID, you know, so you just, um, it's okay to have a cup of tea yourself. Just as I, I would use it as a prop. That's what I would do. I really wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't really drink it. Um, but you're using Starbucks facilities. You need to buy something. I wouldn't buy food because then you're in position of eating and you you know you start worrying. Do I have food in my teeth? It's distracting and all of that. Um, but you do. You want to keep it uh, professional. Make sure your phone, once the person arrives, uh, leave my phone on until they arrive in case there's something going on. They need to communicate with me. Once they arrive. Um, I just don't bother with trying to turn off notifications anymore on my phone. I just turn my phone off because somehow something always gets around and something beeps, um, gets around the notification and beeps. Just turn it off. And then you're, you're in a meeting, right? You, you're, you're in a meeting and it's all, it's just as you were in person. Okay. All right. Well, good. That, that makes sense. And, and it, it, um, it's good advice to go ahead and grab your own coffee so you're not kind of sitting around in, in Starbucks loitering. <laughs> and, um, if, if you know, it's something else, if you're the type of person that doesn't want to shake hands, if you've got a coffee in one hand and a, a bag in the other, then you naturally can, can do the uh, power nod. And um, it, it's actually a good way to avoid, especially for people that are more concerned about transmission of germs, um, it, it's actually a good way to to avoid that that whole situation. So mm -hmm. thank you. My pleasure. So everyone listening today, go out and go to Amazon uh, or go to Stacy's website. Stacy, what's your website address? It is spencercrane.com. S P E N C E R C R A N E dot com. Excellent. And are you on Instagram? Can uh, our young and fabulous uh, social media folks find you on Instagram? Yes, you can find me at Career Etiquette on Instagram. 
career etiquette on Instagram. And I actually follow Stacy on Instagram and she posts advice that sometimes I'm sitting there going, I'm going to forward this to my teenager. Um, or I forward it to, uh, people that I'm mentoring. And so it's great advice. It's often very timely and useful information. And so uh, I'm really glad that you were able to carve out some time to speak with David and I today, because you're coming from that litigation world, just like we are, and you understand the dynamics, which are very different than the rest of corporate America in a lot of ways. And so thank you so much uh, for that, for, for hanging out with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And I just want to remind people that uh, companies and law firms can can use this training, you know, this type of training from the top down. So, um, you know, don't forget Stacy's able to come in and act as a consultant. And um, this is great information for, for everyone to have. And, um, you know, it, it'll impact job seekers, employers, and, and just the workplace in general. So we really, really appreciate your time. It was wonderful meeting you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again, David and Erica. It's been great meeting you, David. And uh, it's always a pleasure, Erica. And uh, I'm, I'm happy I've been able to be here today with you. Thank you so much. And yeah, like David said, it's great for, uh, great for law firms training new associates, summer associates, uh, new paralegals. Uh, just to walk through some of these things that, you know, 20 years ago, we could take for granted that someone was going to tell us. Uh, we can't take for granted that people even know any of this uh, now. So uh, great information or sales teams in the vendor environment. If you're selling to law firms, you've really got to take the time to understand that culture. And I, I think that uh, Stacy would be a great resource for that. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, David. Uh, David, do you have any last words as we wrap up? Um, not really. I just, um, you know, I, I just really want to say thank you and, uh, we appreciate your, your advice. And for all the people that are listening out there, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and do what you need to do to, to get training, whether it's learning how to properly accept an email invitation or having a successful lunch meeting or, or, you know, communicating with coworkers, colleagues, um, you know, everything's about education basically. And, and, and this is definitely an important topic. And, uh, I really feel like having this knowledge can help people get ahead, especially young professionals to kind of learn the ropes and get ahead more quickly. So it's, it's definitely wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much. So uh, thank you to all our listeners and folks who've been listening. I hope that you'll join us uh, for the next time that the Legal Tech Talent Network uh, shares a podcast. And so we're excited about this. We're still just getting going, but it has been a fun ride so far. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the LTTN podcast. Visit us anytime online at www.legaltechtalent.com. Legal Tech Talent Network is a consulting firm serving companies and individuals involved in legal technology. We work with business leaders from legal services, litigation support, e-discovery, cybersecurity, forensics, information governance, and software firms, just to name a few. The network provides advertising, digital marketing, and recruitment solutions to law firms, legal vendors, and in-house legal departments. In addition, the network provides the legal community with educational resources, access to networking opportunities, and a job board. 
Thanks for joining us again for this week's episode.